Sri Lanka was hit by a series of very large protests this July that led to the resignation of the government. And there's been a lot of debate in the media about why there have been these very large demonstrations. Now, it is an objective fact that Sri Lanka's economy has been going through a meltdown. The government declared bankruptcy. It has been unable to pay its foreign debt. More on that in a second. And people were filling the streets because of horrible economic problems that have made life very hard for average working people, including extremely high rates of inflation in the double digits, including a lack of goods, a lack of fuel, a lack of food and medicine that was caused because the country has been unable to pay for imports. So there's, there's no d debate about the fact that people have been suffering and that has fueled a lot of the protests in Sri Lanka. But there have also been very misleading reports in the Western media and claims from Western governments that the protests and the economic meltdown in Sri Lanka were all the fault of China and so-called Chinese debt traps. Now, this myth has been completely debunked, even by mainstream Western academics. Later on in this video, I'm going to talk about a study that was done by a professor at Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, which, I mean, honestly, it's a farm for U.S. intelligence agencies and the U.S. government. So the fact that even someone at a school so closely linked to the U.S. government would admit that Chinese debt traps are a myth is very significant. But I'm going to come back to this study and I'm going to show that the facts later sh proving that China does not have debt traps in the global south. Ironically, like the U.S. does and the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank have trapped countries in the global south for many decades in this unpayable, odious debt and then impose neoliberal structural adjustment programs. So in many ways, what the West is accusing China of in Sri Lanka is exactly what they are doing. It's projection for their own crimes. But this narrative has continued to live on largely because the U.S. government has continued repeating this myth of debt trap diplomacy. We've seen European governments also repeat this narrative that China is trapping countries in the global south in unpayable debt. And supposedly Sri Lanka is their case study for a country that has been bullied by Beijing. No, that's not what's happening. In fact, the vast majority, over three quarters of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is held by, you guessed it, Western governments and their allies, Japan and India. I wrote an article about this over at Multipolarista.com. It's titled, Real Debt Trap, Sri Lanka Owes Vast Majority to West, Not China. And in this video or in this podcast version today, every source I cite can be found in this article at Multipolarista.com. And I'm going to begin looking at a graph of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. This data comes directly from the Sri Lankan government, from Sri Lanka's Department of External Resources. This is the Sri Lankan government website. And you can see here the foreign debt summary. And this is as of the end of April 2021, the most recent debt. Um, statistics that we have. Now, the graph on the Sri Lankan government's website is, is not very good, 
So I'm gonna use a different graph here from German state media, DW, but it's using the exact same data. And it shows that 81% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is owned by Western financial institutions and Western allies, India and Japan. And here you can see that nearly half of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is des described as market borrowings, which means private financial institutions, largely banks and vulture funds based in the West. And what are those firms? Well, the top firms are all in the US and Europe. Here's an example. Here are the top firms that own the Sri Lankan government's debt in the form of sovereign bonds. BlackRock from the United States, Ashmore Group from Britain, Allianz from Germany, UBS from Switzerland, HSBC from Britain, JP Morgan Chase from the US, and Prudential, also the US. So we're talking about asset management firms, vulture funds, and banks from the United States and Europe. They own nearly half of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. Now here's an article in Japan's major media outlet, Nikkei, and it's titled, Sri Lanka's International Bondholders Brace for a Haircut. And it shows, this is from April, it shows that many of the firms that hold Sri Lanka's debt in the form of bonds are these Western vulture funds. It talks about negotiations that were going on between the Sri Lankan government and the US-dominated International Monetary Fund, the IMF. It notes this is the 17th time that Sri Lanka has sought an IMF bailout. I'll, I'm going to come back to that point in a second because it's very important. And if you go down here in this report, it notes some of the main holders of Sri Lanka's international sovereign bonds, ISBs. The, among the top 20 are BlackRock, Allianz, UBS, HSBC, JP Morgan Chase, and Prudential. Note, they don't mention China here. We're talking about Western vulture funds and banks. Now, here's an, a report in Reuters from April about BlackRock and Ashmore Group, part of a creditor group that were in this talks about Sri Lanka's debt. Asset managers BlackRock and Ashmore Group are among the top holders of Sri Lanka's international bonds. This group of Western banks and and Wall Street firms, they hold more than 30% of Sri Lanka's foreign sovereign bonds. So again, no mention of China. China only owns 10% of Sri Lanka's debt, whereas 81% is owned by Western firms and Japan and India. Now, I mentioned the IMF. This is very important because the narrative that China has been trapping Sri Lanka in unpayable debt ignores the huge elephant in the room, which is the IMF. Sri Lanka got independence from British colonialism in 1948. And since then, for decades, the Sri Lankan economy has been dominated, has been managed by the U.S. controlled IMF. And the IMF has imposed 16 structural adjustment programs. Here's a report in the New Indian Express. It notes that since 1965, Sri Lanka has been a repetitive client of the IMF. The country has had 16 economic stabilization programs between 1965 and 2000. Now, economic stabilization programs 
is a euphemism for structural adjustment programs. Many of these, you know, imposing neoliberal measures, cutting social spending, dropping the minimum wage. And 33 of those years, the country was under IMF programs. So for decades, Sri Lanka has been under these suffocating IMF structural adjustment programs. So the idea that Sri Lanka is suffering under Chinese debt trap diplomacy, even though Beijing only owns 10% of its foreign debt, not only does it ignore the 81% of that debt held by Western financial institutions, Japan and India, it also ignores the history of decades of debt that Sri Lanka has suffered under and 16 different IMF bailouts. Clearly, those IMF structural adjustment programs have not worked because if they worked not the first time, the second time, the third time, if they haven't worked 16 times, clearly the IMF does not have a solution to the, the systemic problems plaguing the Sri Lankan economy. Now, there's another firm on here in that, that is very important. The World Bank, which of course is dominated by the United States, created by the Bretton Woods Conference. Many people know that the World Bank is, is an arm of U.S. political and economic power. The World Bank has 9% of Sri Lankan's foreign debt. But there's another firm that has 13% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. That's the Asian Development Bank. And the Asian Development Bank is largely dominated by the United States and Japan. And this is, this is a report from 2019 at a neoconservative Washington, D.C.-based think tank called the Center for Strategic and International Studies. It represents the voice of, you know, neoconservative elements in the Beltway. And this report is from 2019 titled The Asian Development Bank, a Strategic Asset for the United States. So the ADB, the Asian Development Bank, is a strategic asset of Washington. And they note that the ADB is one of two Asian regional development banks, the other being the Chinese-led Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, the AIIB. And they, the CSIS, this Washington, D.C. think tank, notes that both of the banks occupy the same space, have co-financed numerous projects, and are subject to the economic volatility of the U.S.-Chinese trade war. So, in short, the... Asian region, the, excuse me, the Asian Development Bank, which was created in the 1960s, is basically a vehicle for U.S. power. And the Chinese-led Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which was created in 2016, is much newer, is led by China. So they're in, they're in this new Cold War, these are the two banks that are competing for influence in Asia. And if you go down in this long report, they summarize the influence of the United States over the ADB. They note that as one of the largest non-regional shareholding members in the bank, the United States has been very supportive of the ADB. In 2017, Donald Trump said in a speech that, quote, we are calling on the World Bank and the Asian Development Bank to direct their efforts toward high-quality infrastructure investment that promotes economic growth. And they say very clearly that basically the ADB is an instrument in the new Cold War between the U.S. and China. They say the United States, through its membership in the ADB and with its Indo-Pacific strategy, seeks to compete with China as a security and economic partner of choice in the region.
And now China does have some role and investment in the Asia Development Bank, but that's like I said, it goes back to the 1980s when China was allied with the US well before the beginning of the Cold War. And in 2016, it create, China created this alternative, which is the IIIB. So, the, excuse me, the AIIB. So, yes, China does have a role in the ADB, but over the years, China's role has been decreasing. And over the years, the ADB, ADB has become very clearly a vehicle of U.S. power and also Japanese power. And, of course, Japan is a major ally and a proxy of the U.S. empire. And they note that as a founding member and majority stakeholder of the ADB, Japan has played a crucial role in directing the ADB's objectives since its inception. So going back to the graph here showing Sri Lanka's foreign debt, when we say that the Asian Development Bank has 13% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt, what that really means is the U.S. and Japan yet again. So if you look at all of the sources here, Western banks and, and vulture funds have 47%. The Asian Development Bank, which is dominated by the U.S. and Japan, has 13%. Together, that's 60% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. Japan has another 10%. That's 70%. The World Bank, which is dominated by the U.S., has 9%. So that's 79%. And then the other 2% is India. So together, that's 81% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. And the role of India is important. I note here that, that although as of April 2021... India only had 2% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. That number has been increasing. And here's an article in an Indian right-wing media outlet called Economy Next. And it notes that India was the top lender to Sri Lanka so far in early 2022, displacing China. And this was published in, on July 5th. So the week of the protest that led to the overthrow of the Sri Lankan government. You can see that India very greatly outnumbers China as one of the top lenders to Sri Lanka. At, this is in millions, 376 million in, in loans, more even than the ADB and, of course, China. In fact, India has given 550% more loans to Sri Lanka between January and April 2022 than China. So India has become another major creditor to Sri Lanka. So once again, to reiterate, the moral of this story here, the summary is that China only has 10% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. But if you read a lot of Western media reports on these protests in Sri Lanka, you would think that China was the, was the main reason for these protests. This graph is another way to see the impact of this Western debt on, in Sri Lanka. This is from the Sri Lankan government's website, the Department of External Resources. And here you can see, this is Sri Lanka's debt by currency. And if you look here, the blue line is US dollars. And as of 2019, which is the most recent year they have, 65% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt was denominated in US dollars. Now, the second biggest is SDRs, which is from the IMF, those are special drawing rights of the IMF, as I explain here in this article. And then if you go down really far, you can see that the, the light blue line is Chinese yuan. Less than 5% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is denominated in the Chinese yuan. 65% in US dollars, 
14.4% in IMS special drawing rights. So that is a visual representation showing that the vast majority of Sri Lanka's debt is not held by China. It is held by Western financial institutions and Japan. But of course, that's not the narrative that you get in the Western media. Now, I want to talk about the protests here for a second because, you know, there were legitimate reasons for these protests. I mentioned that the protests were driven by very high rates of inflation and a lack of goods, including fuel, food, and medicine, which was caused by the fact that Sri Lanka was unable to pay for imports. I mentioned that Sri Lanka was negotiating a 17th IMF bailout, but those talks which began in June, they, they did not go through. So in May, Sri Lanka defaulted on its debt, and in July, the Sri Lankan Prime Minister, Rano Wickremesinghe, he said that Sri Lanka is bankrupt. This is a report in CNN. So Sri Lanka went bankrupt. It was unable to pay its debt, although, again, the majority of that debt was not held by China. And why, why are, what are the other reasons for that? I mean, there have been high rates of inflation in May the inflation rate was 39.1%, so very high rates of inflation. Well, one of the reasons for this is that Sri Lanka has been imposing neoliberal policies. This is a report from the Associated Press back in 2019. It's titled, Sri Lanka's New Government Announces Tax Cuts. And it talks about the entry into, of the new government, which is the government that announced it's resigning this July. And that government was read, led by President Gotabaya Rajapaksa. And who is this guy, Gotabaya Rajapaksa? He is a former military officer and a technocrat. He had no coherent political ideology. He was a complete neoliberal technocrat. And when he came into office, he immediately imposed neoliberal policies, including cutting corporate tax rates. So corporations in Sri Lanka no longer had to pay taxes, and religious institutions were exempted from taxes. So obviously, the government cut its own revenue base in 2019, implementing these neoliberal policies. It cut its revenue base in 2019 by dropping taxes and corporations. And then in 2020, Sri Lanka was hit by the COVID pandemic in 2020 and 2021. So it had a massively reduced revenue base, and then it had the COVID pandemic, and now it's facing large rates of inflation. So it's not because of Chinese debt, which is only 10% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. Also, I mean, there, is, there are major systemic problems of corruption in Sri Lanka. That is a significant factor in this economic crisis. Although again, the IMF has negotiated 16 structural adjustment programs and Sri Lanka was never able to get out of these economic problems. So it's clearly not because of Chinese debt. But if you read Western media reports, you would think that, well, this must be because of Chinese debt. Here's a report in the Wall Street Journal. China's lending comes under fire as Sri Lankan debt crisis deepens. So this is the Western financial press trying, press trying to blame Beijing, even though, once again, 81% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is controlled is owned by Western financial institutions, Japan and India. And the Wall Street Journal noted that this financial crisis in Sri Lanka 
opened a window for India to push back against Chinese influence. So this is the Wall Street Journal pushing for New Delhi to increase its influence over Beijing. Here is a report in the Associated Press in May. China becomes wild card in Sri Lanka's debt crisis. So we see a, a concerted attempt to blame China, even though China only has 10% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. Here's an article in the Japanese media outlet Nikkei. Once again, Sri Lanka meltdown exposes China loan policy. This is from May. So a lot of propaganda trying to blame China. Here, the, the Indian media, which is very right wing, dominated by sor for sources that forces that support the right wing government of the BJP and Narendra Modi, the prime minister in India. Here's the New Indian Express, a reliable mouthpiece for the right wing regime in India. China employed debt trap diplomacy to gain strategic edge over Sri Lanka. And of course, they're citing a right wing think tank, which strongly supports the the Hindutva policies of the right-wing BJP party that governs India, and of course is extremely anti-China. Another article, which is basically identical in India's business standard. And if you go to YouTube, there are so many videos claiming that China has trapped Sri Lanka in, in a debt trap, especially, you know, India today has this, this video, China's debt trap, Sri Lanka crisis, how China trapped Sri Lanka under debt. So a lot of propaganda in the Indian media. And then here is U.S. regime mouthpiece Voice of America. This is a U.S. state propaganda outlet closely linked to the CIA. And in April, they published an article, China's global image under strain as Sri Lanka faces debt trap. Once again, this is ridiculous propaganda. So here is another example of this from a former CIA analyst. This guy, Derek J. Grossman, he previously worked for the CIA, for the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, and the National Security Agency, the NSA. So this guy has worked for numerous spy agencies in the U.S. Today, he's an analyst at the Pentagon's think tank, the Rand Corporation. And he tweeted on July 9th a, a photo of these massive protests in Sri Lanka. And he said, this, this former CIA agent said, China's window of opportunity to one day control Sri Lanka probably just closed. Again, let's go back to this graph here. China only has 10% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. But this former CIA agent at a Pentagon think tank wants us to believe that these protests are against China. Now, in my article, I pointed out that I was looking, I was studying a lot of this this propaganda in the Western media, trying to blame China and so-called debt trap diplomacy. But I actually came across a BBC report. And the BBC report, it seems like it's the same propaganda. It's titled, Is Sri Lanka a Victim of Chinese Debt Traps? It's by BBC Newsnight. So I watched this report from BBC, and I have to say I was a little surprised to see that the BBC, this British state media outlet, they sent a reporter, his name is Ben Chu, to Sri Lanka to investigate the claims of, a chi of Chinese debt trap diplomacy. And he reluctantly admitted that it's false. He was on the ground, he interviewed people, and he 
came to the conclusion as a reporter that no, China has not trapped Sri Lanka with debt trap diplomacy. Here are some clips from this BBC documentary, which is very revealing. But importantly, it's not debt, but equity the Chinese own here. The Chinese government is not involved in setting the rules and regulations. So from that standpoint, the government of Sri Lanka is in control. And it's up to the government of Sri Lanka's wish to, to uh, flavor the city, the development of the city in the way it wants to. It is accurate to say that infrastructure development has boomed under Chinese uh, investment, Chinese debt sometimes. But those are things that we've actually needed for a long, long time. So is the debt trap not all it seems? Perhaps we were approaching an answer. The truth is that many independent experts say that we should be wary of the Chinese debt trap narrative and we found quite a lot of evidence here in Sri Lanka which contradicts it. The Hambanto to port well, that was instigated by the Sri Lankans, not by the Chinese. And it can't currently be used by Chinese military naval vessels. And Actually, there's some pretty formidable barriers to that happening. A lot of the projects we've been seeing, well, they feel more like white elephants than they do Chinese global strategic assets. So that is a very rare exception of actual facts, actual reporting in the Western media. I already have reviewed the ridiculous propaganda in US outlets and Indian and Japanese outlets. Now I wanna look at what actual experts on Chinese foreign policy have admitted in their scholarly studies. And this was published of all places in the Atlantic Magazine, which is the voice of the Washington political establishment. And this article is titled, The Chinese Debt Trap is a Myth. It was published in the Atlantic Magazine in 2021. And this is by the scholar I mentioned earlier at Johns Hopkins University. Now, for, for people who don't know, Johns Hopkins has a revolving door with the US government. It has a pipeline directly to US spy agencies. The CIA recruits a lot of students from Johns Hopkins, but they do have a few scholars who are professional and serious. And one of those scholars is a professor named Deborah Browdigam. And she has studied China's foreign policy and its loans to countries in the global South and concluded that the Western narrative of a Chinese debt trap is false. I'm going to summarize some of the main parts of this article in the Atlantic. The Chinese debt trap is a myth. Now, she talks about this narrative that China is trapping countries in the global south in debt. And she points out that the prime example that's cited to try to push this narrative of Chinese debt trap diplomacy is Sri Lanka, and specifically a port that China built in the southern part of the country called Hambantota. And she says that according to the Western propaganda narrative, Beijing pushed Sri Lanka into borrowing money from Chinese banks to pay for the project, which had no prospect of commercial success. Again, this is the Western propaganda narrative. And that the, uh, the lack of revenue pushed Sri Lanka into default, at which point Beijing demanded the port as collateral. Now, that is not what happened at all. That's false. And she herself explains that that's false. She says, quote, the debt trap narrative is just that, a lie and a powerful one. It is a lie, she says. The debt trap narrative is a lie. And then she says, our research shows that Chinese banks are willing to restructure the terms of existing loans 
and have never actually seized an asset from any country, much less the Sri Lankan port of Hambantota. Now, the U.S. government, on the other hand, of course, has said the opposite. In 2018, Trump's vice president, Mike Pence, claimed that, that Beijing had debt trap diplomacy and Trump's attorney general, William Barr, did this had the same you know propaganda narrative now she points out in this report that ironically it was not china that initiated this project of building a port and in, in this southern port city in in sri lanka it began with china excuse me it began with canada it began with canada not china she writes it was the canadian international development agency that financed canada's leading engineering and construction firm to carry out a feasibility study for the Sri Lankan port. And then there was a second feasibility report by a Danish engineering firm. That Danish report, uh, using that Danish report, Sri Lanka approached the United States and India trying to build the, the port. Both countries said no. So it was the Sri Lankan government that was very insistent on building this port. They thought it would be strategic. So. They asked the U.S. and India after Canada and Denmark did studies, feasibility studies, and Washington and New Delhi said no. So instead, Sri Lanka asked China, and China said yes. Now note that China agreed to do this in 2007, six years before Xi Jinping came to power and introduced the Belt and Road Initiative. So this project, this port in Sri Lanka, predates Xi Jinping by several years. It predates the Belt and Road Initiative, and it has its origins in studies conducted by Canadian and Danish firms. So this attempt to say that it's Chinese debt trap diplomacy or colonialism is absurd. It's, it's, it's nonsense. Now, here is a report that was published by this Johns Hopkins scholar, Deborah Browdingham, it's titled Debt Relief with Chinese Characteristics. Again, this is from Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. It was published as part of its China-Africa Research Initiative. I want to stress again, this school is notorious for being closely linked to the U.S. government and the CIA. It is not in any way biased on behalf of China. This school is very biased on behalf of the U.S. government. But Deborah Brautigam seems to be a very legitimate scholar and she goes where the facts lead her and not just ideology. And she confirmed that after they studied, her team studied cases from Sri Lanka, Iraq, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, Angola, and the Republic of Congo. And they found that there is a pattern of debt relief with distinctive, distinctively Chinese characteristics. And they found that between 2000 and 2019, China canceled at least 3.4 billion U.S. dollars worth of debt in Africa. Have you ever heard of the U.S. canceling debt? I mean, come on. She says there is no China Inc. in terms of debt. And she added that not only did China forgive 3.4 billion dollars of debt in Africa, China also restructured or refinanced $15 billion of debt in Africa in, in the, ninth, the 20 years between 2000 and 2019. She said, quote, we found no asset seizures and despite contract clauses requiring arbitration, no evidence 
of the use of courts to enforce payments or application of penalty interest rates. And yet she said, yes, Western critics have condemned China because it often is not very transparent with the loans it gives because China, unlike the West, tries to carry out its diplomacy very subtly in a nuanced way, not boasting about everything. And they acknowledge that, yes, Chinese lenders prefer to address restructuring quietly on a bilateral basis, tailoring programs to each situation. So they don't, you know, boast about it publicly, but they are forgiving billions of dollars of debt and renegotiating or restructuring tens of billions of dollars of debt. And there's a few other quotes in here that I want to highlight. So in December 2019, a prominent Zambian economist, that's from the African nation of Zambia, said, quote, Chinese debts can be easily renegotiated, restructured, or refinanced. So her team investigated it, and they found that it's pretty true. And here they explain for their study that in their data, they analyzed more than 1,000 Chinese loan commitments in 49 African countries since 2000. And again, they found that between 2000 and 2019, Beijing restructured or refinanced at least 26 individual African loans. And China restructured or refinanced $15 billion of debt. And they note that, that Beijing has a very different philosophy about giving out debt. China emphasizes, quote, development sustainability, which looks at the future contribution of the project and decreasing increasing revenue rather than dates rather than debt sustainability which is looking at the current state of the economy as the basis of project lending decisions so chinese loans are based on a different model and that model is of course south-south cooperation and what beijing calls win-win cooperation and in response to people who claim that china is supposedly colonizing countries that are in that have debt they note in this study, quote, despite critics' worries that China could seize its borrowers' assets, we do not see China attempting to take advantage of countries in debt distress. There were no asset seizures in the 16 restructuring cases that we found. We have not yet seen cases in Africa where Chinese banks or companies have sued sovereign governments or exercise the option for international arbitration standard in Chinese loan contracts. So once again, this is from a mainstream academic at a very well-respected university, Johns Hopkins, acknowledging that there is no debt trap diplomacy. It's a myth. It's a lie, as she said. And ironically, it's projection. It's hypocritical projection of the very same imperialist tactics that the US and Europe have trapped countries in the global south in, in this kind of odious debt. So once again, the crisis in Sri Lanka is not because of Chinese debt. China only has 10% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt. 81% of Sri Lanka's foreign debt is held by Western financial institutions, Japan and India. And those financial institutions include Wall Street vulture funds and banks. So don't repeat Western government propaganda about China and Sri Lanka. When you want to understand what's actually happening in the country, 
you have to do research. That's what I always try to do here at Multipolarista. And if you want to support this work I do, you can go to multipolarista.com support. I don't have any funders. I'm a completely independent outlet. And you can also join at Patreon, patreon.com multipolarista to help sustain this work that I do. I'm very grateful to everyone who can help you know, sustain this journalism because I think it's really important in this new Cold War that we're in to show real facts. And if you want to see more of those real facts, you can find this report with all the sources at multipolarista.com and a lot of other reporting. I'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.